Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. The winter of 1935 was uncharacteristically cold in Los Angeles. Temperatures reached as low as 25 degrees. But the brisk weather couldn't slow down the elegant and exclusive Hollywood parties, and 29-year-old actress Thelma Todd seemed to be at every one. Thelma's glamorous white blonde hair and comedic chops had made her a star in 1930s Hollywood, but it also landed her in the middle of multiple scandals, from engagement rumors to affairs to divorce. But she didn't let the gossip get her down. On the chilly evening of December 14, 1935, Thelma curled her blonde tresses and slipped into a blue evening gown with a long fur coat. Then she headed off to Sunset Boulevard for a party hosted by actor Stanley Lupino and his daughter Ida. It was, by all accounts, a wonderful night. But it was the last time Thelma Todd was ever seen alive. Two days later, Thelma's maid and assistant, Mae Whitehead, walked into the actress's garage and noticed something horrifying. Thelma Todd was slumped behind the wheel of her Lincoln Phaeton, still wearing her blue party dress and fur coat. She was dead. Over the next few weeks, Thelma Todd would wind up in the center of one final scandal, and the mystery of her death would send shockwaves throughout Hollywood. This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case. You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the mysterious death of Hollywood actress Thelma Todd. This week, we'll cover Thelma's background and rise to fame. Next week, we'll cover the long investigation into her startling demise. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thelma Alice Todd was born on July 29, 1906, in Lawrence, Massachusetts, to John and Alice Todd. She was a happy, carefree child who could usually be found playing with her older brother, William. The Todds seemed like the perfect family among the Lawrence community until tragedy struck in 1910. That summer, Alice took both William and Thelma to Vermont to visit some family. During the trip, four-year-old Thelma and seven-year-old William took a tour of a local creamery, and they got so excited that the pair decided to explore the place themselves. Thelma and William crept into the factory and marveled over the creamery's gigantic machinery. But suddenly, William's coat got caught on a gear. It yanked the young boy inside the metal jaws of the machine. Thelma ran for help, but by the time they could get William to the hospital, it was too late. The boy was dead by the end of the day. The loss hit the Todd family hard, and although no one could blame Thelma for her brother's death, the young girl took it upon herself to try and cheer her parents up. She became a tomboy, showing more interest in sports and activities usually reserved for young men. Whether intentional or not, Thelma tried to fill the void left by William's death. Her grief took this form well into her teenage years, until Thelma found a passion all of her own, film. She started taking trips by herself to the Broadway Theater in downtown Lawrence, where she would sit for hours in the audience, watching one silent film after another. But soon, Thelma would find her way out of the audience and in front of the camera herself. In 1924, a teenage Thelma took part in a vaudeville show. Just a few months later, she received her first film offer. It was a small role in a local production called The Life of St. Genevieve, but it was enough to prove to Thelma that this was how she wanted to spend her life. Unfortunately, her father didn't quite share her enthusiasm. Ma, I've got news. Is Dad home? What is it? I'm in the middle of... I've been offered a spot in the vaudeville show full time. They want me to start as soon as possible. That's... That's great to hear, Thelma. Oh, great. I don't think so. No daughter of mine will be working as a vaudeville actress. You tell them you're sorry, but you won't be taking the job. Now, John, if Thelma wants to do it, then we should think about There's it. nothing to think about. You can find another job, a practical one. While you're under my roof, it's my rules. Understood? And that was that. In the fall of 1924, 18-year-old Thelma Todd set her acting plans aside and headed off to the Lowell Normal School to become a teacher. But she didn't leave her dreams aside for long. In the spring of Thelma's first year of school, Thelma heard that a studio called Famous Players Lasky Corporation, which would soon be known as Paramount Pictures, was opening an acting school in New York City. Thelma? Thelma Todd? Napoleon? Fancy running into you. What are the chances? I was just thinking about you. Did you hear about that new acting program in New York? 
Oh, well, of course I did. It seems lovely. Have you sent in your application yet? You'd be a shoo-in. I still have a stack of your headshots from the show if you need any extras. Oh, stop it. Throw those away. You're sweet, but I'm not acting anymore. You're kidding. You're made for the pictures. <laughs> oh, you're too much. Acting was fun, but I'm focused on my studies now. That part of my life is over. Well, only if you want it to be. Thelma's acquaintance, Napoleon Damara, a local theater manager, took it upon himself to submit Thelma's headshot to the acting school for her. Thelma didn't even know until a few weeks later, when she got some unexpected news, she'd been accepted into the program. All she had to do was drop out of school and move to New York. But Thelma's father still didn't approve of his daughter's acting dreams. It's rumored that on the night she left Massachusetts, her mother helped her sneak out of the house before her dad could find out. Get in the car. We've got to get you to the train station before your father notices I'm not in bed. What if I'm making the wrong choice, Mom? What if he's right? Maybe I should stick to the safe thing and become a teacher like he says. Thelma Alice Todd, you're destined for greatness and you're going to be a star. Don't listen to anyone who tells you otherwise. But what if- Enough of that. Sometimes you have to stop asking what if and find out. That starts with you getting in this car. Now, are you coming or am I driving to New York alone? And so on July 20th, 1925, Thelma headed in for her first day at the famous Players Lasky program in New York City. But things didn't come easy to the young actor at first. Thelma struggled to fit in at the program, and her new teachers felt Thelma didn't take her exercises seriously. To make matters worse, a leading actor within the program, Richard Dix, came to her one day with some concerns about her weight. You're never going to have a shot as a leading lady if you can't stay thin. This stung, and Thelma soon forced herself into a strict, unhealthy diet to keep the weight off. But Thelma's luck with the program suddenly changed in November of 1925. She and her classmates were invited to act in a film called Fascinating Youth. It was the biggest movie she had ever been a part of, and she even got to tour around the Northeast to promote it. In the spring of 1926, the cast of Fascinating Youth made a special stop in Lawrence, Massachusetts to screen the film. After years of watching movies in the Broadway theater, Thelma finally sat in the audience and saw herself on the big screen. But the celebration was short-lived because just a few months later, Thelma received some heartbreaking news. Her father had died from a sudden heart attack. Thelma knew that now her mother was alone. She wrestled with the thought that she should put her acting career on hold for her family's sake, but ultimately she decided to stay in New York and keep trying. And finally her work started to pay off. In early 1927, Thelma was offered her first leading role in a feature film. She would star alongside comedian Ed Wynn in the film Rubber Heels. But that was just the beginning of the good news. Shortly after the release of Rubber Heels, the film studio told Thelma that they wanted her to move out to Hollywood. It seemed like her career was finally taking off. Once again, Thelma had some reservations about leaving her mother, 
but there was an easy solution to that. Hello? Thelma Todd, it's your mother. Are you packed yet? Mom, I already told you, I'm not sure. California is so far away and I can't just leave you. Who said anything about leaving me? What do you mean? You aren't getting rid of me that easily. I'm coming too. And with that, Thelma Todd packed up her things and headed out west with her mother. But she had no way to predict just how much her life would change in Hollywood. Coming up, we'll look at Thelma's glamorous life in Hollywood and the events that lead up to her mysterious death. Stay with us. Hi, it's Carter from ParCast Network. The Vatican is one of the most recognizable religious sites in the world, but it's also a powerful institution, its unique history full of secrecy. This Easter, my show Conspiracy Theories looks deep into the church's past to uncover how it became what it is today. Starting April 5th, our new four-part miniseries, Mysteries of the Vatican, dives in to examine some of the most prominent conspiracy theories surrounding this mysterious organization. From the church's sordid rise to power, to prophetic visions, and even assassination attempts. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories, to hear Mysteries of the Vatican. New episodes air every Monday and Wednesday, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. Now, back to the story. On April 17, 1927, 21-year-old Thelma Todd arrived in Hollywood with her mother and a plan to be a star. The pair quickly found an apartment and started to settle in. But once Thelma started working, she realized that her new life wasn't going to be as easy as she hoped. The other actors at the studio were cold and unwelcoming, and Thelma continued to question her career choice. Oh, hi, honey. Wasn't expecting you back from the studio so soon. Did you eat? (laughs) I'm not hungry. Oh, Thelma, what's wrong? Bad day? (laughs) They've all been bad days since we got here, Ma. I'm not cut out for this. Honey, you've got to give it time. You've just got to believe that it's all going to work out, okay? You'll be a star. (laughs) Do you really believe that? I sure do. Soon enough, everyone will know the name Thelma Todd. Now, go wash your face and I'll make some tea. Alice was right. On May 18, 1927, Thelma found out that she had booked a starring role in a Western called Nevada, opposite Gary Cooper. And once her career in Hollywood got rolling, it didn't stop. In early 1928, 
The studio First National expressed their interest in buying Thelma out of her contract with famous players Lasky. This seemed like a huge opportunity, and Thelma was ecstatic. Until she got a look at the contract. I said hold my calls! Let's get to it, Thelma. Here's the updated contract. Mostly boilerplate stuff. Nothing you didn't see at Lasky. Sure, of course. Let me take a look. Just need your signature on the last page and we'll be good to go. Uh, what's this part here? A weight maintenance clause? What, that boilerplate, I told you. You're what, 122 pounds now? Sure. You just can't lose more than six pounds, or gain more than six. You're a natural beauty, but it's important that our starlets remain, you know, fit. Well, hang on. I'm not sure this feels quite right since... Hate to break it to you, kid. This is industry standard. But if you don't feel like signing, then excuse me. I don't need to waste my time. No, wait. Sorry, of course. Let me see that pen. Thanks to the new contract, Thelma was headed straight towards stardom. And along with her success came a steady stream of parties and suitors. Thelma found herself swept up in a string of short, casual flings. She was romantically linked to a band leader named Abe Lyman, the Russian actor Ivan Lebedev, and even got engaged briefly to an insurance agent named Harvey Priester. Soon, Thelma discovered that her dating life had earned her a new type of fame in the pages of the L.A. gossip magazines. This new attention and focus wasn't exactly welcome, and soon Thelma began wrestling with anxiety. But the more she tried to fight against having her private life splashed across the tabloids, the more she realized it was a losing battle. This was the cost of her newfound fame. By 1929, Thelma was finally coming into her own as a leading lady in Hollywood and cementing her legacy as a comedian. She signed a contract with Hal Roach Studios, joining the ranks that included legendary comedy duo Laurel and Hardy, and in 1931, Thelma even created a comedy duo of her own. That summer, Thelma started acting alongside a comedian named Zasu Pitts on a string of comedy shorts. Hal Roach was so impressed with the pair's on-screen chemistry that the studio decided to make them full-time partners. But as successful as Thelma was in comedies, she deeply wanted to prove herself as a serious actor. Thankfully, in July of 1931, she got the opportunity she was looking for when she landed a role in director Roland West's drama, Corsair. Roland was a little worried about Thelma's history as a comedy actor, so he met up with her before shooting to discuss a plan that could help distance Thelma from her less serious persona. Thanks for meeting me, Mr. West. Call me Roland, and it's my pleasure. <laughs> Fine, Roland. I'm just honored you cast me in the film. I promise I won't let you down. Listen, Thelma, I do think we need to do something big to separate you from your comedic side. I think... no, I strongly advise that you change your name. But people are finally starting to get to know Thelma Todd. And you want me to become someone new? A new you for your new career as a serious actor. Well, if you think it would help. Fantastic. Rest in peace, Thelma Todd. Cheers to the new you. 
Thelma was prepared to do whatever she needed to do to be taken seriously in dramas, and by Roland West. So when she started production on Corsair, she arrived with a new name, Alison Lloyd. It didn't take long before she had a new romance, too. Thelma and Roland hit it off on set and soon began a secret affair, even though she knew Roland was married. Unfortunately, gossip started flying about the couple's illicit relationship, and Thelma found herself in the center of a Hollywood scandal. By the time the filming ended, she had had enough. The relationship fizzled, and Roland went back to his wife. And that wasn't the only thing that didn't last. In November of 1931, Corsair hit theaters and nearly flopped. The film received lukewarm reviews, and no one was talking about the dramatic performance of Alison Lloyd. So Thelma made up her mind. She dropped her alter ego and her dreams of serious acting and went back to Hal Roach Studios to produce more comedies under her own name. But the fling with Roland must have caused a shift in Thelma because she soon started to think about marriage. She had dated a lot of different men throughout her 20s, but now the movie star was headed towards 30. And when she met a man named Pat DeChico, she decided it was time to get serious. Hi there, I'm Thelma. Todd, of course. I recognized you the minute you walked in. Pat DeChico. And what is it that you do, Pat? Oh, I'm a businessman and an actor, and lately I've been working as a talent agent. Speaking of, I have some ideas about how to get your career back on track, if you're interested. Are you trying to work with me or insult me, Mr. DeChico? Actually, I'm trying to ask you out, but it's not going so well. How about we try this again over dinner? Thelma and Pat quickly fell into a whirlwind relationship, and one day in 1932, the couple decided to elope to Arizona. The marriage was a surprise for everyone. Even the gossip magazines were shocked. But Thelma soon realized that rushing things with Pat's might have been a mistake. Pat turned out to be a possessive and controlling husband. He didn't appreciate all the time Thelma spent at work, and with all the other men on set. Finally, less than a year into their marriage, Thelma had had enough. In May of 1933, she jumped at the opportunity to get away from Pat and headed to England for a publicity tour and film shoot without him. But her time overseas took a scary turn. Take another deep breath for me, Thelma. I'm fine. I told you. I just fainted. Don't try to get up. I need to listen to your heart. Listen, Doc. It was nothing. I have a big day today and- Not anymore, you don't. You need to go home and rest. It's your heart, and I think it's serious. The news was terrifying, especially since she was so far from home. But she managed to get through the rest of the shoot under the doctor's supervision and headed back to the United States in June of 1933. It's unclear whether it was the health scare or her crumbling marriage with Pat, but Thelma decided not to go straight to Los Angeles. Instead, she stopped in Lawrence, Massachusetts to see her old family and friends. She traveled back to California one month later, and Pat met her at the airport. 
but their relationship was far from healed. Just a few months later, Thelma sat down with her lawyer to draw up a new will. In it, she left only one dollar to Pat. Everything else would go to her mother. And as the couple headed into 1934, things between Pat and Thelma continued to crumble. Want to go out tomorrow night? Dinner, maybe? I got work. Then I got a couple appearances to make. What if I won't allow it? I'm your husband. You should do what I say, and I say you're going to give me attention for once. I may be your wife, but I'm not your property. Why don't you act like you know the difference? Don't you dare talk back to me, or I'll, I'll... You what? I'll break the next one over your head. Wash your own dishes from now on. And with that, Thelma stormed out of the house and immediately filed for divorce. She listed the reason as extreme cruelty. The pair reportedly stayed civil after the split, but Thelma Todd did her best to sever ties with Pat. Given Pat's anger problems and what happened to Thelma only a year later, she likely had a good reason to keep her distance. Coming up, we'll dive into the tragic last year of Thelma's life. This episode is brought to you by Bin Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use binverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit binverified.com slash podcast. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Now, back to the story. In the spring of 1934, 28-year-old Thelma Todd was free from her rocky marriage and trying to plan for her future in California. She had built a steady career as a comedy star, but Thelma began to set her sights on something outside the frenzy of the film industry. Luckily, an old friend had the perfect proposition for her. Roland West and his wife, Jewel Carmen, owned a home on a hillside property called Castellamare, near Malibu. The space was home to an old restaurant, but the business was struggling to recover from the Great Depression. Roland felt that he needed a gimmick to keep the place afloat. Who better to be the face of a restaurant than beloved Hollywood actress Thelma Todd? Thelma agreed. Soon, Roland made plans to open a brand new restaurant at Castellamare. They would call it Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. During the summer of 1934, Thelma split her time filming comedies during the day and working on the cafe in the evening. She started spending nights at an apartment above the cafe to avoid the drive home from Malibu. Roland often stayed in that same apartment after late hours at the cafe. 
Gossip magazine speculated that Thelma and Roland had rekindled their romance, but the two waved off the rumors. They said they were simply business partners. The cafe opened in the early fall of 1934 and was an instant hit. People came from all over the country to see Thelma in action. She was always working around the cafe, doing one thing or another, greeting customers, waiting tables, and even helping in the kitchen. Thelma started 1935 on a high note. She was ecstatic about her new cafe and still managed to keep acting at Hal Roach Studios. But only one month into the new year, things took a turn for the worse. In February, Hal Roach Studios received a disturbing letter addressed to Thelma Todd. It said, Pay $10,000 to Abe Lyman in New York by March 5th and live. If not, our San Francisco boys will lay you out. It was a strange, threatening message, but it made no sense. Abe Lyman was a man who Thelma briefly dated in 1928. But the fling had ended without a lot of drama, and there were no hard feelings between them as far as Thelma was concerned. She reached out to Abe directly, and the whole thing got even stranger. He swore he had nothing to do with the letter and didn't know who sent it. But over the next few months, more notes started to arrive. They were all in the same threatening tone. Some included a drawing of the Ace of Hearts, which led the media to dub the mysterious letter writer the Ace. And in the summer of 1935, it seemed like the Ace's notes were more than threats. One day, Thelma came home to find that her house had been broken into. She got so scared that she decided to flee the city and move into the cafe's apartment permanently. Thelma kept her guard up constantly. Her days of partying around Hollywood were over. Now, she only left the Malibu property to work at Hal Roach, and she headed directly home each night after a shoot. Thelma got so nervous that she even started asking her assistant, May, to check her meals before she ate them, in case they were poisoned. The whole thing seemed overly paranoid, until the day when May found small pieces of glass sprinkled in Thelma's food. Finally, one letter from the Ace arrived that included a return address in New York and the name Richard Harding. The police quickly headed out to check out the lead. In August of 1935, they arrived at the address, but there was no one named Harding there. Instead, the police took the building's landlord, a man named Harry Shemansky, into custody, even though Shemansky had no actual ties to Thelma or the letters. It seemed unlikely that the man was actually responsible for the threats, especially once Shemansky pleaded not guilty. But at this point, Thelma was looking for any kind of relief. She used Shemansky's arrest as a sign that the danger was behind her, and she tried to find a normal life again. But when the letters kept coming, she had no idea what to do. Ultimately, she decided to just ignore them and not tell anyone. Meanwhile, back in New York, a 26-year-old named Edward Schiffert heard about Harry Shemansky's arrest and went to his parents with strange news. Shemansky was innocent, he said, and Edward could prove it. When his parents didn't believe him, Edward went to the media. Long Island Daily Star, reporter Drake Lewis speaking. 
I saw you covered the Harry Shemansky letters case. He's innocent. Is that right? Any evidence to support that claim, sir? This is Ed... Uh, Richard Harding. The ace. Meet me and I'll give you all the information you need for a story. The pier. Three o'clock. Wait, hang on. I... Sally? Get me the main line at the FBI. When the reporter met with Edward Schiffert, the FBI were waiting. They arrested the man for extortion. When they found a handwriting expert to compare Edward's handwriting to the letters, the FBI knew they'd finally found their man. It was a perfect match. It turned out that Edward was a fan of Thelma's, who had followed her career for years. That soon evolved into obsession, and finally, threats of violence. Thelma was horrified to discover that this was all the dark side of her fame. But ultimately, she was relieved. It seemed like, finally, she could put the ace behind her. In December of 1935, Thelma went to lunch with her co-star, Zasu Pitts, and Zasu's husband. As far as Zasu could tell, Thelma was the happiest she'd ever been. Thelma bought Christmas presents for everyone in her life, from her co-workers on set to her families and friends. She had big plans for the holiday. Unfortunately, she'd never live to see it. On December 14, 1935, Thelma got dressed in her apartment above the cafe and prepared herself for a big party at the Trocadero nightclub in Hollywood. She invited Roland to come along, but he turned her down. He had too much work to do that night. So Thelma went to the party alone. Thelma seemed to be in good spirits at the party, for the most part at least. An actress, Ida Lupino, said that Thelma ran into her ex-husband, Pat DiCicco, at one point in the evening, with his new girlfriend in tow. Ida claimed that their interaction made Thelma furious. But in any case, Thelma continued to party until about 3 a.m. Then, finally, she gathered up her coat to leave... Her driver, Ernest, opened the car door and Thelma waved one final goodbye to her friends before climbing in. It was the last time any of them would see Thelma Todd alive. Ernest later recalled that Thelma had been quieter than usual on the drive home. When they arrived at the cafe, he prepared to walk her up to her apartment. But that night, Thelma told him not to. So Ernest reluctantly got back into his car and watched her as he drove away. Nearly 30 hours later, in the early morning of December 16, 1935, May Whitehead entered Thelma's garage to retrieve her car. But when she walked inside, she was startled to find her employer at the steering wheel. At first, May thought she was asleep. But as she walked closer, May spotted blood around the actress's nose, and her skin was cold. She was dead. Her death was soon ruled an accidental suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning, even though the car wasn't running when they discovered her body, and there was still gas in the tank. And over the next few months, the evidence would begin to point towards a much more terrifying conclusion. Thelma Todd was possibly murdered. Thanks again for tuning into Unsolved Murders. 
We'll be back next Tuesday with part two of the mysterious death of Thelma Todd. For more information about Thelma Todd, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Ice Cream Blonde, The Whirlwind Life and Mysterious Death of Screwball Comedian Thelma Todd by Michelle Morgan, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders was written by Chelsea Gray, with writing assistance by River Donahue and Giles Hofseth. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez, and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Tiana Camacho, Joe Hernandez, Julian Smith, and Rebecca Thomas. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy.